countdown. Three, two, one, go. All right, welcome to Stuff You Should Know About IP, a podcast about stuff you should know about IP. We're here at Executive IP headquarters. Executive IP is where we've got our founder and CEO, Tom Colson, here. My name is Ray Guneri. I'm the VP of Operations. And we're a corporate training company. We're a, a solutions provider. We help businesses solve problems around a variety of topics, traditionally intellectual property. And we do so by delivering the world's greatest training videos. That's right. Yes, we do. And so um, we, we decided we wanted to start a podcast about uh, intellectual property and stuff that everybody should know about intellectual property because we wanted to contribute a meaningful dialogue to the IP community and to the business community at large. And so um, I want to kick this off by just asking some kind of novice, curious questions about intellectual property. I knew nothing about IP before I came to work for you. Um, and uh, I have, my mind has been expanded. <laughs> I now know, I knew this much, I now know, I feel like I know this much, which is this much more than this much, yeah, which so is what I originally were, knew. Before you were an elementary school IP person. Uh, now yeah. you've like surpassed middle school and you're yeah, like deep yeah. into high school I'm, yes, yeah, in yeah. your education I'm hoping process. to get my GED in IP. Right. Uh, maybe by the end of this podcast, I'll, I don't know, be halfway through uh, sure, undergrad. <laughs> um, so, okay, so, so what is IP? Um, and that, that's, that's what I want to start off with because there's a lot of people out there. I have conversations with people. When I say I, I make IP training, they say, um, oh, like Internet protocol? Right, yeah. So, so IP, when, when you think of IP, people typically think of patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. Those are the core parts of IP, and anything more complicated, that probably wouldn't be good for this show. Not for this particular episode. Sure. So let's stick with patents, copyrights, and trademarks. And basically, patents, all of those things give you the right to exclude people from doing stuff, right? So if there's no IP, you can do anything, right? The world's open to you. You can make anything. You can use anything. You can sell anything. But as soon as you face IP, that's when things get complicated because that's a prevention tool. Patents are a great example. You can make, use, and sell anything unless somebody has a patent that prevents you to do, to, from doing so. So a patent doesn't give you the right to make anything or use anything or sell anything. It gives you the right to prevent other people from doing that. So if I have a patent, I can prevent you from making my patented technology, putting it into your products or your services. And what that gives me is the right to charge whatever I want for it, whatever the market will bear, because I don't have any competition. It's kind of like a legal monopoly. So that's a patent, and it's usually around things, features and functions of products or even services. So patents protect the features and functions around your innovation, right? Mm. Then you have trademarks. Now, trademarks are all about identifying the source or origin of products or services of the marketplace. So trademarks don't exist in the world without products and services. So they solely exist to identify the source or origin of products and services. Hmm. Then there's copyrights, which don't protect ideas, they don't protect inventions, they protect the written or audio or visual embodiment of ideas. And those are things like books and movies and videos and websites and images and white papers and marketing material and things like that. And then trade secrets are secrets. Essentially, they are things that you keep secret, innovative ideas 
that you keep secret, and as long as you can keep them secret, no one else can do them. So if you have something that you're thinking, oh, maybe I should get a patent on this, or maybe I should get a trade secret, you think about things like, well, if I could keep it secret, I could keep it secret forever. I could keep it secret for 100 years. So instead of only getting patent protection for like 20 years, you could get 100 years or 200 years of protection as long as you could keep it secret. But the downside is you might only get five minutes of protection because if you lose your secret, you lose your protection. So if it's the kind of thing that people can reverse engineer and figure out, trade secret's probably not your answer. Or if you have an environment where people don't know how to keep secrets, loose lips sink trade secrets. So those are the basic forms of intellectual property. Okay, so we had patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. I can imagine that anybody who just listened to that, because I remember the first time you gave me that rundown, yeah. and my head was spinning. Right, right. So I can imagine anyone who just heard that for the first time, their head is spinning. Now, patent lawyers out there, probably some engineers and some business people are going to have a little bit more of a sense of what you or just said. Or anyone who's watched our videos. Or anyone who's watched right. our training videos, right. of course. Um, so, so taking it a step back, we got patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Can you give a, an example of each one of those that can help people sort of connect those abstract concepts with like a real world, something in their everyday lives. Sure. So let me give you something that might have everything in it. So I have a book of all my great inventions, okay? I have a, and my great inventions, there's a lot of them. Well, maybe like that. So I have a little pamphlet of my great inventions. So I describe my inventions in my pamphlet. And I name my pamphlet, let's say... Um, Colson Inventions. So the name of my pamphlet, which I might sell in the marketplace, would have a trademark, which is Colson Inventions, right? Now, I might not be able to get that because it's so descriptive, but we don't have to go there right now. The concept is the thing that identifies the source or origin of my product is Colson Inventions. Now, the book itself, I can't get a patent on that. I could get a copyright on that. So I could make it so that nobody could copy my book. They could still copy the underlying inventions. If I describe my invention for my new transporter beam, people can still copy that invention, but they can't make a copy of my book or my paper that describes the invention. But I might get a patent on that invention as well. So now I have a book with a trademark on it and a copyright on it, but the underlying inventions that I describe in the book could be patented. So my transporter beam that I've described in my book, I might have filed a patent application on it the year before, so now you can't copy that either. But I might only have some general abstracts of things that I consider trade secrets in my book as well. Like I might have a cool invention, but I'm not going to describe the secret sauce. I'm just going to describe generally what it is, and I'm going to keep the secret sauce as my trade secret. So that one pamphlet can have four forms of intellectual property associated with it. Hmm. How's that? I take it you've done that before. I have not. <laughs> Did you just make that up? Yeah, I just made it up. Really? Yeah. Wow, that was really great. So that's why it might not be a good so it might not have been a great description. So anyone who's an expert out there, don't send in nasty emails that I made a mistake. Yeah, I just yeah, made that up. Yeah, save that for the YouTube comments. Leave it off of LinkedIn. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so so I mean that's a really great overview of of IP, and it I think it helps sort of make things a little bit more concrete when you have something tangible that you can tie each one of those things to. The thing that has always interested me about, um, well, 
I could say something about each one of these, but one that always stands out to me are trade secrets because it seems that a trade secret is essentially just a secret. So what? why do we even use the term trade secrets? And other than keeping them secret, what yeah, form of protection that, is there? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I graduated law school and became a patent lawyer, I still didn't know what a trade secret was. Huh. And a client called me and said, can I get a trade secret on this? And I didn't even know what it was. And I was a patent lawyer. So it's not, because I just thought it's a secret. What does that even really do for somebody? Right. So it's really a secret. You, you don't have a trade secret unless you have a secret. But the thing that giving you trade secret status does is really enable you in, to enforce it. So here's what I mean. If it's a secret and nobody ever finds out your secret, it's just a secret. But it's a trade secret when you want to enforce it. So, or you want to sell it, right? I want to sell my trade secret. I have this secret that I've managed to contain within two or three people with my organization mm. who are all locked down with non-disclosure agreements and, and all kinds of threats of legal action. So they can't give away my trade secret. But if I want to sell it, I need to have something that I'm selling so I can explain to the person that's buying it why it's an enforceable trade secret. All the steps that I've taken to make sure that nobody knows it. Because if I haven't taken all the right steps to ensure that nobody can discover my trade secret, it's not enforceable. For example, if I publish something about it, I've destroyed my trade secret. It's no longer enforceable. Mm -hmm. If I don't have strict processes in place within my company to ensure that only people with a need to know can access my trade secret and information, it's not a trade secret. If I've disclosed it in a meeting with somebody who's not locked down by a, trade, by a non-disclosure agreement, it's no longer a protectable trade secret. So what makes it go from a secret to a trade secret are really the, is really the infrastructure that I put in place around it to protect my secret. Interesting. So uh, what are some examples of famous trade secrets? Coca-Cola. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Coca-Cola was like 1890 or something. They decided against patenting. And thankfully they did. It was something like 1890, I think. So imagine if they had filed a patent application, they would have gotten protection at that time for 17 years from the date of issuance. So let's say it issued in three years, and I might be wrong about 1890. But let's just say it was 1890. 1893 it issues. They have protection until 1910. And then it's out in the world and anybody can copy them. There might not even be a Coca-Cola right now because everyone would have copied them and their brand would have never had a chance to flourish as as it has. In fact, the, 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 uh, the, the secret, the trade secret, and the legend around the trade secret have built the brand even more. So there might not even be a Coca-Cola if they had chosen patents instead of a trade secret. And the same thing with the, I think it's 11 herbs and spices of Kentucky Fried Chicken. I can't remember. Is it seven <laughs> or 11? I don't know, 11? but it's good. It's, yeah, it's good, too. You can, yeah, it's good. But they have their secret around their herbs and spices, whether they're 7 or 11. They can't keep that thing under lock and key. And it's part of their branding. You know, it's like it's cool. It's a secret. And nobody knows what it is. It's funny because we probably have all 11 of those herbs and spices in our cupboards. But yeah. we don't know the right I combination. Know. And you don't so know. Because you probably have like 30 herbs and spices. And you don't know which, which ones, ones not are. to. Right. Exactly. Oh, man. That's right. Um, okay. So uh, trade secrets seem to me like, and I, you know, I don't want to just, we're going we're gonna to do more of these podcasts. So we'll talk about patents and copyrights and trademarks too. But I've always been fascinated with trade secrets from the beginning because I remember something that you say in one of our videos. And there's sort of, it's when you're, it might be the our, our main IP general awareness video, the like overview video, yeah. where you talk about how trade secrets are the most 
valuable of all of them if you can get one, but they're the hardest to get and the hardest to keep. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, the hardest to get and keep. They could be the most valuable. They could be right. the most valuable. Well, because they can last forever. Right. I mean, fundamentally, patents are a more certain legal right. If I have a patent and I need to enforce my patent against an infringer, it's more certain. I probably have a better chance of doing so. If mm. I have a trade secret, it it's, could be of longer duration. It could be more powerful because as long as I'm the only one that can do it and no one else can, I have a market advantage. But it's also a little fuzzy because the only time you ever know if you have a, va- a, a trade secret that's enforceable is when you try to enforce it. Mm. And oftentimes when you're trying to enforce it, it's because <clears throat> someone stole it. And once it's out into the marketplace, you might be able to get money damages against the thief. You might be able to put them in prison, but it's out there, and everyone's right. copying you. Right. So that's why it could be the strongest thing. I mean, look at Coca-Cola. That's not only a trade secret. That's a brand now. That's worth billions, right? Yeah. And how many patents are alone worth billions? I don't know. But I would say that in the main, patents probably give you more protection because they're more certain. Interesting. So... All right, so you kind of just made me start thinking about what, what my original question was before I went off on the ta- trade secret tra- tangent, which is what, what should, in your opinion, everybody know about IP? Or maybe more specifically, people who are working within a large organization that actually has a lot of intellectual property assets. What, what does everyone need to understand about Yeah, whether it's a large organization or a small organization, people need to understand that IP matters. And they will be be stolen from if they don't have IP. And I'll give you a great example. Let's go to a small company. A guy was just sitting in this office about 45 minutes ago, and you saw him. And he and I were sitting right over there. And he came in because he is a marketing guy who has a cool slogan for somebody in the power tools industry. But... He doesn't want to pitch it to them because they might steal it. And he won't have the money to try to enforce it. And he might have nothing to enforce. So he came to me and said, what can I do? And that's the sticky wicket of the little guys and IP. Is if you're not thinking about IP, how do you protect somebody from stealing from you? So this guy comes to me and says, what can I do? And, you know, and I'm even struggling with how to help this guy because he's a little guy. And it's a slogan. And he's not in the business. So he's just got this cool idea, and, and IP is notoriously weak at protecting just ideas and concepts, right? So he's got this presentation he showed me with his cool tagline, which I won't disclose on camera now because he's still trying to figure out how to protect it. So I said, well, try to get a copyright on your program that you have. Like, he's got this whole campaign that he wants to deliver to somebody in the power tools industry. Get copyright protection. Why? Because it's cheap. You could do it yourself. Yeah, you could hire a lawyer, but you could probably just go to the web and do it yourself. Go to the copy, U.S. copyright site. So he's going to do that. But I said it would be even more interesting if he got trademark protection because that's a more certain right. I mean, copyrights are certain, but it, it's easier to enforce a trademark to me. So I said, why don't you set up a company? You know, because trademarks are attached to products, so you can't have a trademark on an idea you have. So set up a company. Become, create your own power tool brand. Go to a power tool company and say, look, I want to take your power tool, I want to private label it with my brand, and I'm going to build a website, and I'm going to start selling your power tools for you. 
Now you're essentially a reseller, but you're selling it under your own brand. Hmm. And now you can use your tagline. <clears throat> Start getting some visibility for this, and it wouldn't cost you much. You can build a website. You can set, you know, get a, an LLC, set up a relationship with somebody who will fill all your orders and put your brand on it. Now you've got a trademark, though. So now in addition to your copyright protection, you have trademark protection on your, on your slogan or your tagline or your trademark. And now you have more protection. Now, you can also go out to these potential buyers of your cool idea, your cool slogan, and say, will you sign an NDA? But they probably won't sign it because they're bigger than you. And if, they, if you need them more than they need you, they probably won't sign an NDA. So you need some right. sort of IP protection. Right. And, and I'll give you one other quick example. I had a guy come to me a few years ago with this board-like thing that he'd put up in the basement so that it was easier to put your electric box on it. You know how in your basement you have your electric box on the wall and a lot of times people who are building the houses just take like extra pieces of wood and nail it up there and then they put your electric box up. You know, where all your, fu your fuse box, where all your fuses are. Mm. I don't even know what it's called. But anyway. Fuse box, Fuse think, box, right? right? Yeah. So this guy came up with this idea which was this really cool looking board that you could put wires through it and it's got like this thing that attaches to the wall and he wants to go to big companies and try to sell his idea. But the problem is, if there's no protection, again, go back to the basic concept. If there's no IP, you can do anything. You can make anything. You can use anything. You can sell anything. So if he goes to them with their idea, they won't sign an NDA because they're a big company and he's a little guy. They could just take his idea and say, that's really right. a clever idea. I'm just going to take your idea. And there's nothing he can do about it. Right. Because ideas are free until something locks them into intellectual property. Right. So I said, you need to file a patent application because if you don't, you have nothing to protect yourself. So he said, can I get a patent on it? I said, I have no idea. I haven't done a search. I mean, it seems like patentable subject matter, but let's do a search and see if you have patent protection, if you can get patent protection based upon the fact that nobody's done this before. It's not in the marketplace, you right. know? So we did a search, we filed a patent application, and then he was able to go out and pitch his idea to a big company with less fear of being ripped off. And I say less fear because even with the patent application, if you can't afford to defend your patent, you're out of luck. So if they steal your idea, then you have to find a lawyer who's willing to represent you, and maybe they'll take your case on a contingency basis, which means you don't have to pay them unless you win. They might not, and it costs money to defend your patent. Right. So overall, intellectual property protection is in some cases a must-have. If you don't have the money to build your brand in the marketplace, which, by the way, is trademark protection, but and get your products out into the marketplace without being able to rely solely upon your machine, your distribution machine, and your brand, you're going to get knocked off in the marketplace as soon as you have any success if you don't have intellectual property protection to protect you. Right. So it's almost like if you don't understand the fundamentals of intellectual property, you are outgunned the moment you get into the marketplace. Then success will kill you. Why? Because if you don't succeed, no one will copy you. And then your secrets are safe. Your, your product is safe because you failed and no one cares about you. But the moment you start to succeed, that's when people start to copy you. Hmm. And that's when you need intellectual property protection. It's so interesting because... I was just having a conversation with this uh, about this with um, with um, some of our friends who I was out to lunch with yesterday about how how the more that I've been exposed to IP, the more I've come to realize that it's woven 
into the fabric of the, the marketplace at large, the economy, and to every product and service that we interact with on a daily basis, especially all the ones that you know we know of off the top of our heads that are just sort of commonplace and everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a part of, of everything. So in your, the span of your career, have you noticed a change in the um, awareness and understanding about IP yeah, among course. the general for public? one reason, the formation of executive IP. <laughs> <laughs> because we're out there with training videos right. now, if not for executives and podcasts. So why is there more awareness about IP? Because of us. Right. So take us off the planet and maybe nobody knows anything about IP. Except for IP. No, awareness. you know why IP is so becoming so common in terms of people's discussions and business planning is because of either HP or IBM, and I don't remember which, but in January of 1997, it was a famous paper like the Wall Street Journal or something like that, had an article announcing either IBM or HP or TI, maybe it was Texas Instruments. They hit the billion dollar mark in licensing. I think it was IBM. Was it IBM or was it TI? I think it was TI. Well, I mean, I... I, I can't remember, around, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you weren't even born yet. But I remember, I think I remember <laughs> us talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those big companies. They hit the billion dollar mark, and as soon as that happened, all the CEOs of all the other companies were calling their chief patent counsels, who they didn't even know what they did before, huh. and they were saying, "Where's my money? Where's huh. my licensing money?" And back in those days, I was a patent lawyer, but I was also running a software company that was analyzing intellectual or patents, analyzing patent portfolios to helping people come up with big portfolios. And suddenly, within a month, it went from me calling people who wouldn't return my calls to me being inundated with phone calls about our software because everyone was getting screamed at from above about their licensing revenue. Where was it? Now, little did they know it took them you know, maybe a decade to build a portfolio that can generate a billion dollars, maybe more, but that's when it started to become commonplace. And by the way, in the late 90s, I think there was like a big six accounting firms at the time that then became like a big four, then a big three or something. But they all started spending a fortune building IP consulting groups Hmm. because everyone was waiting for this IP marketplace to emerge. And it's slowly emerging. But that got people thinking. Then people started writing books that were open to the popular community, you know, not technical books that nobody could understand or that would bore people to death. There was this guy named Kevin Rivette that wrote a book called um, Rembrandt's in the Attic. And it was like finding your secret patents that no one even knew were there and they're worth millions of dollars hmm. that were in your portfolio and how you do that. And that got onto the desktops of a lot of regular people that started to really think about IP. Hmm. And when was that? I think it was like 1997, 1998, 1999. Hmm. I can't remember exactly when, but... So we're still... I mean, IP has been around for a long time, but... Um, well, I mean... Yeah, since like 1790. Yeah. Wasn't that the first patent? I don't know. On like something called potash. Really? Well, Whatever that is. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but So it's been around for a long time, but as, as far as it being so prevalent, um, we're still in a very early... I think the better way to put it is people are still trying to figure it out, Hmm. right? Like I had a big, huge company call me recently and ask me to come in and speak to their executive team to help give them ideas on how they could value their own patents. So they called me in like May and said, would you come out and do this? And I said, yeah, of course I'll come out and do it because it was like three months away. And I thought there must be a ton of stuff on this, right? 
This must be obvious. All I have to do is go to Google, do a search, and I'll find 20 articles on really practical ways to value IP, uh, patents, patents in particular. So I agreed to do it. And then I waited till like a month before, before I even started researching, and I found hardly anything. Hmm. Because no one's really good at this. A lot of people say they can do it. But it's really hard to place a specific value on your patent portfolio. Because ultimately, it's worth what somebody will pay for it. And it's not like real estate where you can go out and look at a whole bunch of houses that have sold on the same street with the same number of bedrooms and the same car, number of car garage and the same number of bathrooms and say, well, that sold for $300,000 or $500,000. So, so mine will probably sell for around the same thing because by definition, patents are all unique. Right. If it's not new, useful, right. and non-obvious, it's not a patent. Right. So it's more difficult to place a value on these things. So that's the complicated thing. And also, what do you do with it? Patents, all these things cost a lot of money. you know. And if you can't figure out how to monetize it or get value from it, you're spending money for nothing. So it's just complicated in trying to figure out, even with sophisticated companies, what you do with, how you get IP, how you get the right IP, what's the right spend, where in the world do you get it? Like, what parts of the world do you get IP? Because, you know, you need IP everywhere, right? A right. U.S. patent does not do anything for you in China, and a Chinese trademark doesn't do anything for you in the U.S. So you have to figure out what to do with it how to get it, where to get it, how to monetize it, how to rationalize it to the, your superiors that are just seeing a spend and not seeing anything come in. So that's the complicated thing about IP is it's, it's easy to theorize. It's easy to understand what a patent is. It's kind of hard to figure out what to do with it. It's interesting because so, so, so I, I, I asked the question, what should everyone know about IP? And your answer was, well, number one, that it's valuable. <laughs> Yeah, you right? have to start thinking about it. But, but at the same time, and that they should be thinking about it. And, 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 and know where to go to get answers. Like, that's the other thing is IP should be an, an embedded part of business planning, right? Right from the top of the organization. If the senior executives, whether you are a five-person company or a 10,000-person company or a 300,000-person company, right at the top, people who are making business plans Deciding what your company's going to be should be thinking about IP. Right. Then sprinkling all down below because a business plan is only as good as your ability to implement it. And the people implementing it are rarely in the executive suite. Right? Mm -hmm. They're out there at plants and at retail stores and all over the place. And they're the ones that need to be implementing IP into the business. Right. Sales and marketing people are on the front lines. They're seeing competitive IP every day, but if they don't know what they're looking for, it's invisible to them. So that's why I firmly believe in, and I'm, you know, I'll give a little uh, sale for our own business here, right? You've got to be training everybody on the fundamentals so that they at least know what they're looking for and they know when to pick up the phone and call someone who's really smart about that sort of thing. Right, yeah. right. So, so people should know... One, that it's important, and two, enough generally about IP to be able to recognize it and to, to be spot a, issues and, and spot opportunities. Exactly. To issues and opportunities to know when to call the experts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you could do that, if you could do that in your company, that everybody at least knows the basics, you're way ahead of everybody else. Right. Yeah. Well, I feel like we covered a lot in like 
oh, about 30 minutes, not even quite yet. And uh, I sort of feel like this, this first episode of this podcast uh, characterizes my experience so far at Executive IP. A lot of really great, interesting information, but I still feel like the more that I know, the more I realize that I don't know. All right, so going forward, we should do stories in every podcast. Yeah, I, li- I like the stories. So the they whole help. thing will be stories. No more boring diatribes. Oh, we'll no. just do stories. Was I doing a boring No, no, diatribe? I was. I you was were? doing all the talking. Oh, no. Okay. No, but I, my wasn't, point I, was, is, I was engaged. Okay. But my point were is you let's, engaged? Do, let's do stories. Let's do stories that help bring IP to life. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I said that when we, I, one, that one idea I had for this was we'd, we would end it on a commentary on something that's going on in the news right now related right. to IP. So I read an article a few weeks ago and I sent it to you, um, the one about uh, Taylor Swift. There was this thing in, I think the New York Times had called it like the, uh, the, uh, what, the music, the, the Civil War, yeah, yeah, the music business yeah, in 2019 yeah. or something yeah. like that. Um, and there was a point where people were freaking out that she wasn't going to be able to perform some of her songs at the AMAs and there was a, some hostilities on Twitter. And right. so what, what, okay, what so, did you glean from that So article? you sent me the article, just so we're clear, you sent me the article about three minutes before we started the podcast, okay? <laughs> so I skimmed it really quickly. <laughs> I skimmed it really quickly. And here's what I understand. Taylor Swift, before she was Taylor Swift, she was just a regular person with a good voice. She went to a recording company of some sort, and she wanted to become famous, and they wanted to help her become famous. So they're going to make this big investment in her because she's a nobody, right? Mm. There's a zillion nobodies out there that people invest in, and it goes nowhere. So the record company probably said, if we're going to invest in you, we own the intellectual property to whatever you create. Right. Which is so typical. It's not just in musicians. It's, it's not just with musicians. It's with inventors. Mm-hmm. This happens with inventors all the time. I'm going to fund you, and there's a very slim chance you're gonna make any, I'm going to make any money from you. But I'm funding 20 people or 50 people or 100 people with all their ideas. I have to own all the intellectual property rights. Otherwise, I can't monetize what I've just put all my money into. So right. I'm guessing that this recording studio went to her, and they said, look, we're going to make you a star. And she's like, yes, excellent. This is my dream. But we got to make money from you. And the only way we could protect ourselves is owning the intellectual property. And she probably doesn't even know what intellectual property is at that time. But even if she did, she'd be compelled to give it up. Right. Because she has no, no leverage. leverage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have no leverage. If you have no leverage, your choice is this. Be famous without ownership of the intellectual property or don't be famous. That's You're it. You're going to pick be famous That's every it. time. Exactly. So, so, I mean, it seems to me, and I might be wrong, and somebody can call in. Well, do we don't have a call in. It's not a talk show. No, would. But, no, they can write in we'll put all kinds hotline. of nasty comments about me being wrong about this. But it seems to me that this person is complaining about nothing. Because if you went back in time, which is what you have to do, you can't say, I want my rights today because they're already valuable. You have to go back in time to when they weren't valuable, Right. Back when somebody was about to put a shit ton of money into making you famous and said, what I need in return is your intellectual property rights. Go back to then and then say, would you do the deal? And you do it every time because your choice is not to be famous because no one's going to front you money because you're a nobody just with a good voice. Do you know how many people have great voices out there? 
a ton. One of my things I do with my kids all the time is one of my daughters, she, watched, she uses TikTok, right? And TikTok has all kinds of funny stuff on it, and it has a bunch of singers on it, right? Mm-hmm. And she filters through all the crap, and she comes to me at night when I get home from work, and she says, hey, Dad, let me show you some cool TikToks. There are some awesome voices on TikTok. Yeah. And I listen to this, and I'm blown away by how many good voices there are. Every single one of those people could be famous if, if they had a lot of luck and they had somebody who was willing to put a fortune into them right. and take a risk on them. 100% of them would give up the intellectual property rights to whatever they create so that somebody would put money into them because otherwise they're just on TikTok. Right. They're making no money. They're making, they'll be gone in five minutes and no one will ever hear of them. So when I hear about musicians complaining about the fact that they've lost their intellectual property rights from before they were famous, I ask myself, I'd like to ask them, would you do the deal again? Right. They'd have to say yes. Of course they'd say yes, because this person, Taylor Swift, is rich. Right. And she's famous. She's worth a fortune. She's worth more than most people will ever be worth in their lives because of the deal she made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... This has been an awesome first episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP. I'm stoked to come back for the next one next week. Me too. Um, Yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. If you did, please like, comment, share, um, and yeah. That's it. Tell all your friends Stuff You Should Know About IP. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Ray.